When we do these baby dedications, it's a little bit like a wedding, right? There's this tremendous holiness that fills the room, and it's like, and I think that it sort of carries almost the same. So you ever go to a wedding, you come home, and you're like, I am so thankful for my spouse, (laughs) right? Like you get this renewal in that presence, whatever it is that's happening miraculously, it's like, oh man, this is good. Thank you, Jesus. Right? We look at marriage again and it, it brings something back. Hopefully, this is your response. If this isn't your response, we have counseling here. There are forms in the back, and um, some of you maybe, I don't know. Um, but I think the same thing happens with these baby dedications. And I know that there are families here who want babies. And there it is. <laughs> And I know there are young people who want to get married. I know there are grandparents who carry the weight of their grandchildren's destinies, right? It'd be silly to pass that by, wouldn't it? I tried to keep it light. I did my best. (laughs) Just raise your hands. Father, we come into the moment that you've already begun to inhabit We step in. We won't let it pass us by. We won't let it pass us by. We don't just believe in the leading of the Holy Spirit. We practice the leading of the Holy Spirit here this morning. So, Father, for every woman's heart that wants a child, I ask that you would bless their womb. For every marriage that is the hindrance to childbearing, I ask that you would bless the marriage. For every woman who's had an abortion, I ask that you would heal their soul and that you'd restore their body, that you'd give them hope to move forward. For every young person struggling to find a spouse, longing to be married, God, line their life up with the life of another and lead them onward into destiny. And for every grandparent, every parent carrying the weight of the destiny of their own children, of their grandchildren, Father, provide rest, provide hope. This morning, let there be an infusion of faith that carries each generation into the next, telling of the works of your goodness. Thank you that the kingdom comes that the kingdom that is coming is coming here, that it comes through family, that what you're doing among us here at Life Center is intergenerational, it's multi-generational, it's into the future, it reaches back into the past, it's family timeline length. So we receive this morning a blessing by faith over family at Life Center. If you agree with that, would you say amen? Amen. Okay. Now, for the recovery, my goodness. Oh, here I go again. Um, you may, you, we did talk about Joanna. Uh, you may know, may not know, there is another guest of honor here this morning. I'm going to embarrass her a little bit. How many of you remember Paul and Ruth Martini and miss them deeply? Here in our very presence this morning, she's not going to stand up, she's probably saying horrible things because Australians have foul mouths, uh, is Ruth Martini. We, uh, 
Why don't we just give her a little, just a little something, just a little something. Ruth Martini and baby in tow. I think she needed a break from Paul. I don't know. I don't know how that went, but we get it. We get it. Uh, <laughs> we, uh, Liz and I and John and Tiff got to go and be with them a couple of weeks ago. It feels like it was like three years ago, but it was, I think, literally two weeks. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, they're doing great. So <clears throat> when people ask how they're doing, I'm like, it's really awful. It seems to be working. <laughs> so we miss them very much. We're really grateful for the work that the Lord's doing there. Um, Albuquerque is a cool place. The Lord's doing some amazing things. And their church is tremendous. It's truly beautiful. There really is something amazing that the Lord's doing there. So it's really great. We, um, John, <laughs> John um, Aiken and I are, we're like, we're not too mature anyway. And then when we get together, there's like a downward spiral that occurred. We're like straight to fourth grade. Um, Tiff and Liz are like, you know, what were we thinking? They go to weddings and they think, what were we thinking? We go to weddings, we're like, wow! <laughs> but, so we were up on this mountain. There's this, if you ever go to Albuquerque, which you should, you should visit them. Um, there's this ride kind of a thing up a mountain. You get to the top, it's really beautiful and stuff. It's also 10,400 feet above sea level. And so they tell you, this is like one of the spiels on the, um, the ride, that alcohol hits your system faster when you're up there. So we got up there and there were these ladies who nobody told that to. They, nobody, somebody should have let them know. They, were, they told us they were four martinis in, um, which I believed. Very believable. <laughs> very, very believable. So we kind of enjoyed this... Um, by the way, this story has no point. I just want you to know, I want to set you free from looking for the moral. It just isn't one. Um, except maybe if you're ever drinking at 10,000 feet, slow down. You know, <clears throat> that's a good one. We could, that's a take home, Ruth. Take that back to Albuquerque. Uh, so these women were like, they were like 60, we're, we're, they're not even here, Jonathan. They're 67, they were, they were, um, older, you know, we felt kind of like they were our captive audience because we could say anything and it would kill. Like they were, like we were stand-up comedians. They were our audience and they were really easy, you know, so we're saying stupid stuff and they're laughing and they're like, what are you guys here for? John's like, ministry. <laughs> they're, they're like, and they didn't believe it. They literally said to us, you're cool. There's no way you're here for ministry, <laughs> which I thank you. Um, I guess, you know, so um, John's trying to explain, and they're not following, you know, by now the one's words are sort of slurring, and she's like, we're afraid that if there's going to be a stiff breeze, she's just going to go over, like, get away from the railing, you know, <clears throat> and uh, John starts to try to explain that he and Liz and Tiff are going to sing, and uh, he says something about a music ministry, and she's like, like a family <laughs> Music ministry? I was like, I, I thought, I saw my moment, right? Here's my moment. <laughs> my for the inner fourth grader's like, yes! So I dove headfirst into the moment. So I go, yeah, yeah, uh, John, or Tiff and Liz and I are siblings. This is our dad. <laughs> she goes, oh, I see it. John looks at me. John, John looks at me like, what are you doing to me? She's like, it's the white in the beard. John's like, come on, man. <laughs> so there was, yeah, I was, anyway, there you go. Don't look for the point, except for not drinking at the top of a mountain. Fall, that was a fall. That would have been a big fall. 
So we're glad that it worked out. All right. Whew. Recovered from the, uh, the, <laughs> the prayer for the families. Um, if any of those prayers apply to any of you guys and you're interested, come forward at the end and we'll have prayer for um, any, any of you to whom that applies. Whew. Okay, so today... Um, I'm going to do a little bit of a zoom out. So I have been basically saying the same thing for three years in slightly different ways, depending on the context or who I'm talking to. Um, And this is, all of that was kind of microcosmic, like here's what's going on in the world, here's whatever. So I'll talk from that particular. Uh, But what I'm doing this morning is I'm backing out to the sort of personal revelation that has produced all of that. Um, So if you've been hearing me on Wednesdays, on Sundays, if you've been a part of the young adult stuff or the small group leaders things, you've actually heard a lot of this stuff. Um, So you're aware, and I'm going to recap a little bit. So some of you have heard this, but I assume that there are guests and all that stuff here. So I am going to recap a little bit. I've been talking about seasons of sovereign intent, which are basically when God has a purpose in the earth and it supersedes collaboration. It supersedes co-laboring. It isn't something that we may respond to. It is something we will respond to. Um, And the example, of course, right now, is what's going on in the whole world. This is one of these unique times in history where what's happening is happening to everyone, uh, more or less, and in slightly different ways because we all live in different contexts. But what's happened in the last three years with the pandemic and all that followed has literally affected everyone, right? And if you look, there's actually a spirit that aligns itself, that same kind of thing. There's a lot going on spiritually that is equally global. Uh, So this is a unique thing. God does this, if you're looking back through history, he does these things in anticipation of a big move that will create a big harvest, And his movement in the earth starts in the church because the church is always the processing point for the harvest, right? So he gets us caught up. Sometimes he has to purify. Sometimes he has to challenge. Sometimes he has to educate, stretch, new wine, skin, new wine, all that stuff. And we end up in a position where we're able to be a part of, if we were surrendered through the process, what he does next when he brings in the great harvest. If you think of Chuck Smith, this is the example I used uh, last time. And the Jesus people, there was a huge component of the church that completely rejected these hippies getting saved. And then there was a small component that accepted and discipled them. Well, it turns out those hippies getting saved were the entire next generation of believers. So in submission to what God was doing in the church, Prior to the harvest, some were made ready for the harvest, okay? And we're sitting, literally, in the fruit of that, okay? So, the, the long story short of this is that the way this looks, I believe, in us, in this season, is personal revival. So, we love corporate revival. Corporate revival is great. It sells books, it sells tickets, um, and all that stuff, put some people in jail. Um, But it all comes, how we handle that when it occurs is based in our previous response to private, personal revival. What the Lord asked of us in secret bears fruit when the heat is on, right? You squeeze us and something comes out, good or bad, right? 
Um, so just to give us a quick working definition, this is uh, where I go for my thought process on revival because it's um, broad enough to be true. I think it's kind of free of particular wineskins. And I don't want to miss the next because I'm married to the old. So I'm not married to the old. I'm married to Liz. She's wonderful. But you get the point. I don't want to miss, I don't want to miss what God is doing because of what he did once, right? So uh, Robert E. Coleman in his book, The Coming World Revival, he was a guy who, he's a professor now, but he, he's, I think he's like in his 90s, but he worked with Billy Graham for decades and decades and decades. Billy Graham said, if anybody is qualified to write about revival, it's this guy. Um, and he says this is his definition of, of revival. He's speaking from experience in corporate revival. I'm interpreting this into personal revival. So we've got, got our, our framework on. The awakening or quickening of God's people to their true nature and purpose. Okay? That's broad enough to be true. All right, so we have a particular, I was, I, as a kid, but I was very present, I don't know, by grace, I guess, um, as a 10-year-old, in the Toronto Revival. I remember it vividly. I was deeply affected by it. I spent a lot of time there. I grew up not that far from Toronto. Um, <clears throat> and so I, I even potentially have this, like, older wineskin thing where this is how the Lord moves in my head, right? So having a definition that speaks to the end game of revival, not just the specific mechanism of revival, sets us free from looking for a repeat of last time. Uh, so the awakening or quickening of God's people to what? To their true nature and purpose. So there were a lot of manifestations in the last move, right? Everybody got freaked out by the dog sounds and all that stuff and whatever. Um, the, none of that was the end game. It was all the mechanism. Right, so Bill Johnson shook for days and days and days and started to get scared that he'd never stop. And he basically was like, God, you got to stop. I, I can't preach like this. And God said, exactly. Right? He was afraid. He pictured himself shaking in front of his congregation, and he was embarrassed. And God said, you're going to shake till you let that go. You'll lose the fear of man. This is what the, Bill tells this story. It's not like I'm talking out of turn. Right? Um, Patty Leach, this is one of my favorites because it's, we're living in the effect of this. She did a similar thing. She shook. She didn't really like that she shook. She kind of was taken away in it. At the end, she knew it was from the Lord. She asked the Lord, like, look, you don't owe me an explanation, but I'd love to understand what you did. And he took her and he said, look, I shook. He took her to this, the uh, book of Acts. I shook the foundation of your prison to set you free. And we get to live in this legacy of a free Patty Leach because revival had a mechanism, but the outcome, which is always the outcome, the mechanism varies, was the awakening or quickening of Patty Leach, Bill Johnson, to their true nature and purpose. Okay? How you doing? Okay, good. Ruth's doing great, so that's good. Okay, so, <clears throat> again, we're, this is... I'm doing a little bit of, um, of prophetic stuff while I'm teaching. This is okay to do. I have to say this out loud because these days we're, there's a resurgence in a good way, a healthy way, of interest in doctrine. Um, doctrine's wonderful. Don't run to it to avoid the dangers of personal experience. Run to it to fence your personal experience in, Right? We do have the blessing of a progressed revelation of God. Many people have laid their lives, literal lives down 
for little bits of information that we take for granted because we didn't labor over them. So absolutely, we love doctrine. Much of the turn, especially in young people, towards doctrine is because they're afraid of personal experience. I would recommend that you get over that. Okay, theology is downstream of experience. All of our theology that's been accumulated was people assessing in hindsight the experiences of the fathers and mothers of our faith and deciding what was in and what was out, and that's healthy and it's good. But it starts with experience, okay? Information is no substitute for experience with God. Uh, So when I'm doing what I'm doing right now, I'm teaching, um, I'm not just presenting the facts. I'm doing interpretation and application. And we trust anybody who stands up here to do this kind of thing. It's actually really important. And in an idealized world where we have so much information that we're constantly measuring ourselves by a possible that's beyond us, we start to become very insecure and second-guess ourselves because there's always somebody somewhere who can be noted as doing better. And you can find them on the internet. Right? We get to where we demand of people that they never personalize the truth because it's too risky. If I say something stupid, it's on the internet. It's out there, right? So there's a pressure on preachers and teachers not to interpret and not to apply. Um, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna interpret and I'm gonna apply, okay? So as I'm talking about all this stuff, I'm talking about it prophetically for us. I believe it's beyond us, but it's for us as well. So, um, the personal revival, this is God uh, preparing the way for the work that he's doing in the earth. He's planning to bring about this monster harvest, and the church is getting made ready. He's making the bride ready. This bride will eventually be in proportion to and in the nature of her head, right? Her husband, So he's transforming the body. He's making her ready. Um, So he's doing it by personal revival, awakening, awakening God's people to their true nature and purpose. Um, When at um, three years ago, this started to come up in me and I was asking the Lord, okay, so if this is the case, if this is what you're doing, not only here, I believe, but globally, what do we do? Like, how do we respond to this? Is there something that we need to do to steward this? Is it just going to happen to us? And he specifically said to me, overcome. Okay, so we overcome. How do we overcome? Well, there was, for me personally, you know how he speaks our language. Um, it, It rung of a particular passage that I then dove into and he gave me some stuff from it. So Revelation 12, 11 says this. And they, the, uh, the, the ones who have not given up the testimony of Jesus, that's who they are in this passage, conquered him, him being the serpent who was cast down. By the blood of the lamb, say the blood of the lamb. The word of their testimony, say the word of their testimony. And you don't have to say this one because it's clunky, but and by loving not their lives unto death. Okay? This is a formula for overcoming. I believe that it's a formula that is spiritually being emphasized by the Holy Spirit for us right now. Um, I'm sure that this is beyond us. I went to Albuquerque and it was happening there. I see it happening in my friends who are outside of this circle, but I know that it's at least for us. Um, So the first step in this this recipe to become an overcomer 
Now, here's why we're overcoming. We're overcoming because God's preparing the body for the reception of this massive influx of harvest, and there's resistance. That's what, that's what the overcoming is, right? There is the possibility that we will engage with this season, survive it, without actually becoming what we were meant to become, right? It's supposed to be changing us. Remember that the ultimate fruit of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is change, not tongues. Tongues is really important. I love tongues. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. We were originally lovers. Our nature got perverted. We're returning to love in the leadership of the Holy Spirit. That's the difference between Old Covenant baptism of the Holy Spirit, New Covenant baptism of the Holy Spirit. Our works and our words are as anointed as they were in the Old Covenant. But our hearts are changed by his indwelling, which was not the case in the Old Covenant. Okay, so the ultimate manifestation of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives is that we become love again. It's important that as we encounter seasons where the Holy Spirit is doing things, preparing us for that we engage with those seasons unto the change that he has in mind for us. Because he's preparing his body to receive. And this body in particular is called to lead in the next. So that means that we have a responsibility in the process right now. You doing okay? Okay. Sorry for the fire hose. Okay. <clears throat> Step one, blood of the lamb. This is by faith. This is totally by faith. Um, I'm going to skip a couple of verses, but I'm going to give you one or two. So this is the setup, Leviticus 17.11. This is the law, right? <clears throat> for the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. And I'm not going to do it because it'd be fun, but we'd be here all day. Um, read through the book of Hebrews sometimes. This is the author of Hebrews is basically linking and explaining the new covenant to old covenant thinkers, right? So it's almost the other side of the coin from Romans. Charles has been in Romans for a while, right? Where they're explaining the new covenant to these people who have no relationship to the old covenant. Hebrews is explaining the new covenant to people who have a deep relationship to the old covenant. And there are numerous references to the blood because it's such a deep ingrained part of the way that covenant functioned. And so in Hebrews 12, starting in verse 22, the author of Hebrews is contrasting the experience of the believer who participates in the new covenant with the experience that the Israelites had upon the termination of the Exodus, when they got to where they were going, right? They got to the mountain of the Lord. The presence of God is on the mountain. There's a fire, there's thunder. There's, there's this posted, this ring of posted signs that say any animal or person who goes above this line gets shot through with arrows, right? Because it's holy and all this stuff. It's terrifying. And in their fear, when God says, okay, now's the time. You guys come up, I want to talk to you. They decline. And they choose the law because it feels safer, right? This is what the author of Hebrews is talking about right here when he or she says, but you, O believer in the new covenant, have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festal gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. And here it is, remember Leviticus, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. 
And then in Romans 3, we're told that that atonement received by the blood of Jesus is procured by faith. Right? This isn't just the first step in the formula because it was the first thing that occurred to the angel dictating to John. Uh, this is the first step in the formula because it's, found, it's foundational. It's fundamental. It's by faith. From this, the other two progress, right? So the belief that the atonement has the final word, the belief that the fullness of the possibility for the wages of sin to be accounted to us is finished in the blood of Jesus sets us up to begin to develop the word of our testimony and to begin to love not our lives unto death. But we start by in faith, fully receiving, completely believing, becoming convinced that the final word on the wages of sin was spoken by the blood of Jesus. Good? Okay, that is good, right? Yes, okay. So the blood of Jesus starts and finishes our atonement. If we don't believe this, we remain a slave who works for status. But when we do believe this, we begin to operate as a son or a daughter who works from status. So go ahead, just open your hands up. So Holy Spirit, right now, in the name of Jesus, we ask for the gift of faith. I ask you for the gift of faith for the people of Life Center. I ask that there would be such a deep conviction, a strong, rigid, God-given faith, an unshakable belief that the atonement is the final word on sin, that your blood set us free, that it zeroed the account, that we are by the mercy of God included in the fold of God. We receive right now in the name of Jesus the gift of faith to believe. Would you say amen? Starts and finishes our atonement. The atonement through the blood of Jesus is the full and final word regarding sin. And we're leading from the blood of Jesus into these other two steps. It closes the door forever and completely to the wages of sin. And it opens the door to sanctification. Prior to full belief in the atoning blood of Jesus, all of our work was work unto salvation. Full belief in the propitiation of Jesus puts us in the position to work from salvation. That's sanctification. Working out our salvation. 2 Peter 1, uh, 5 through 10 says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. How offensive is that? Supplement your faith. <laughs> okay, turns out there must be more. With virtue, <clears throat> virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, interesting, infinitive tense, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So apparently it's an option to be ineffective and unfruitful. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. If you want to get scared about staying in hidden sin, just read the rest of that chapter. It's, wow, yeah. The point is, believing in the blood of Jesus for our atonement sets us up to begin the second and third step in overcoming, which are steps that we participate in. 
So the second step, the word of your testimony. The word that is interpreted as testimony in this passage is more often interpreted as witness. Uh, it's typically so when Paul says, listen, by the, by the authority of two or three witnesses, such and such is established, that's the same word. Uh, it means a firsthand experience, right? So a part of our overcoming, once we have built on the foundation of the blood of Jesus, is firsthand experience with him. Now, I, um, I'm a mystic in my personal life, and I'm not trying to, like, be weird. About it. I just am. Like, I have a lot of experiences. Most of them I wouldn't describe because you never, I don't know what you'd think it'd be for the rest of my life. But <clears throat> they're there. So, like, when I'm up here and I'm trying to read through some verse and I go, I can't get through it like a weirdo. Um, I'm not putting that on. I do this at home. I do it alone. It's actually, Liz is like, you should write your sermon next to me so I can hear you. I was like, I can't because I'll be embarrassed, you know. All the weird, <laughs> I have this process that involves this experience and I can't, I can't get over that and I don't want to get over it. But I've never had an experience with God because I asked for them. I've only ever had them because I obeyed. The, the mechanism for achieving personal experience with God is obedience. And there are a couple of ways to obey. There's one, and I like this one because it's really simple. The word of God. You just flip it open, you find a part that contradicts your life, and then you go, okay, that's where I'm at right now, right? You don't need a word from God, you don't need to get healed, you don't need emotional healing, you don't need deliverance, you don't need any of that stuff to do what the Bible says. It presents ever before us the opportunity to obey, yeah? ever before us the opportunity to obey. And every act of obedience draws us nearer. Now, our sins are forgiven. Our intimacy is up to what we do after that. So obey by leading, learning, following the, the, the word of God. We get there by grace, so humble yourself. Ask for help. He'll do it. The other way is by the leading of the Holy Spirit. And this is unique, and sometimes we do need healing for this, and sometimes we do need a word for this. This is the kind of thing where, to me, the Holy Spirit offers a conviction as an opportunity. Right? It's unique to me. I can't make a rule out of it. Sometimes my friends think I'm judgmental, like as though I was somehow pushing it on them. I'm not. If your friends are hurt, if their feelings are hurt by you obeying the Holy Spirit, just keep moving. It's good for them. It's good for you. Right, I, I, The opportunity to pay a price doesn't present itself often, so when it does, just love it. Okay, uh, But when the Holy Spirit comes to us and he gives us a personal conviction, most of the time these are not things like don't do major sins. That's not a personal conviction. right? It's little stuff that may actually not even apply to anyone around you. But we produce the opportunity for intimacy when we agree with personal conviction. So I'm giving you permission to walk fully in the personal convictions that the Holy Spirit lays out before you. It's not legalistic. It's not judgmental. If anybody feels bad around you, just keep moving. But you can acquire for yourself a nearness that you're able to hold on to because you refuse to compromise the things that he's laid on your heart uniquely. That's real good to do. That's really good to do. Um, Bishop Garlington was up here a couple of years ago and he said it this way because he was talking about some friends of his who were allowed certain things and he wasn't and it was just the Holy Spirit and he didn't know what to do about it. And the Holy Spirit said to him, others can, but you may not. Just this personal conviction. Give in to personal conviction. 
okay? When we do those things, we're building for ourselves experience with God that can't be taken away. This is the word of our testimony. Okay. So the, the, um, the cheat to this is to hear about other people's testimony. When I hear somebody tell their story, I, in the hearing, get to participate in it. And it becomes a shortcut for me. It becomes a part of my faith. It's not universal. It doesn't always work, but it's really helpful to, to think that way. It's part of the cloud of witnesses. Okay. I'm going to zip through this. <clears throat> Last, loving not your life unto death. Very clunky phrase. Um, the, the New American Standard says they did, not like, they did not love their lives even when faced with death. I think that makes a little more sense out of the formulation there. Um, and, and this is frequently interpreted as having to do with martyrdom. That's absolutely the case, of course. Um, the, the general sense that I get from the Western church is that we mostly would not pass the test of martyrdom. I'm not saying that about you. I'm saying that about me. This, is, this seems to be the case. Um, I would imagine that if martyrdom became an opportunity, thank God nobody's threatened my life recently, um, I wouldn't rise to the occasion in the moment had I not made small decisions to die daily for decades. Um, I don't necessarily think I get to muster some turn of courage against the predicate I set for myself. Um, I will probably choose according to the way I have chosen. That's what we normally do. Um, so with this, the, the, the word that's actually translated as life is not zoe, which is like animal life, and it's not bios, which is like the breath and all the, the way that our bodies are alive. It's suke, which is the inner life. It's the thought life. It's the root word for psyche, right? So as dying daily goes, this verse applies to us whether or not somebody has a sword to our neck, right? We can do that part all the time. Um, the, the, the example that occurs to me is that recently, two weeks ago, I had this dream. The Holy Spirit was speaking to me about becoming something. There's something inside. I'm not going to give you all the details. But I had a particular set of conflict within me where I wanted to be this one way because I, I thought maybe this is the way to be. But my natural bent was this way, and I was arguing within myself whether or not I should change. Right? How much do you change? How much do you not? And I got this dream from the Holy Spirit. Um, which Anne helped me with, and I needed it desperately, right? Basically, the Holy Spirit was saying, no, 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 stop giving into pressure, be who you are, okay? That was a spirit that was outside of me and inside of me correcting me. It was a perspective I didn't have coming from inside of me. That's pretty amazing, right? This is, an this is one of those times. It presented to me the opportunity to die to my own suke, my own way of thinking, so then I have to like embrace it and obey. But I was corrected. The Holy Spirit has not only the right to correct us, but it's actually an honor to be corrected. It's a privilege. It makes us sons and daughters. Uh, the way that we lay our life down. So Jesus, why don't you stand? Um, so Jesus didn't just go to the cross, right? So when he says to us to take up our cross daily, uh, it's important. You know what the way of Jesus without the why of Jesus is? It's legalism, right? It's Pharisee. It produces gross Christianity. We don't just want the way, we want the why as well. So Jesus didn't just go to the cross. 
Uh, in fact, he specifically, explicitly, almost like kind of like sticking it to the man said, hey, look, you guys aren't putting me on this cross. I'm laying my life down myself. I'm doing this because I want to. And then that same author of Hebrews, whoever he or she is, says, Jesus did it for the sake of the joy set before him. So Jesus wasn't going to the cross, just having to, like we use the, we'll say, I had to bear my cross, you know, and we say it about things that are awful, right? That's that was not at all what was happening here. Jesus said, listen, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. Like it's actually, it's like plucky, you know, like he's like, yeah, no, you don't. I'm doing this myself, right? He's got this clear thing where he's, he's taking a stand against the belief that he was being murdered. He even says they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. I think they probably did know what they were doing as far as they were concerned. We follow his way and his why. He did it because he wanted to. He wasn't motivated by fear of loss. He was motivated by the hope of gain. This gives us permission in the taking up of our cross daily, the dying to ourselves, the loving not our lives unto death, to do so the same way. That takes resentment out of the equation. It takes hesitation out of the equation. Bitterness, sorrow, etc., out of the equation, and it becomes a joy to die daily. So that author of Hebrews says that he endured the cross for the joy set before him, which is us. And then Matthew, in 25, verse 21, records this. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. These are the words to the believer arriving in heaven. You've been faithful over a little, I'll set you over much. Enter into what? Enter into the joy of your master. The joy set before him was us. The joy set before us is him. He is our exceeding great reward. And every chance that we get, because we're building the word of our testimony, because we're believing in the blood of the lamb, to walk in the experience of nearness to God, as he's revealed to us that dying daily gets simpler and more joyful because we're seeing more clearly the joy set before us. We're all looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. This is why we pursue, right? So as the Lord prepares us, we overcome by the blood of the lamb, by the word of our testimony, and by loving not our lives even unto the death. So go ahead and open up your hands again. So Jesus, thank you for giving us your why. Thank you for filling us with your hope, with your love, with joy in the journey. Thank you for the beauty of the opportunity to surrender. We're grateful for all of the times that life confronts us. We're grateful for the chance to say yes when it costs us. We're grateful to get to be a part of the preparation that you're making in the earth for the movement that will follow. And so we declare that not only do we believe in the work that you're gonna do, but we submit to the work that you are doing. We submit to the work that you are doing and we do it in delight. We do it in joy. We do it because you are our exceeding great reward. You are the joy set before us. 
You are the joy set before us. The cities of this world are becoming the cities of our God. You're gonna dwell among your people. There will be no need for alternative sources of light. You and you alone are worthy. You're worthy of all. You're worthy of every price that we get to pay. We love you, we believe, we believe, we believe, we believe. And here at Life Center, we receive not only the grace to survive the season, but the grace to overcome so that we're transformed. The grace to overcome so that we are transformed, so that we are changed into what you are making us. We believe, we believe that you will finish what you started. So we receive the work of God among us. And I bless you, Life Center and New Life City, to receive all of the preparation required to be the people we're called to be in the next movement, to be pleased to have our lives poured out before the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys. If you need prayer, come forward and otherwise get your kids because it'd be weird to mess up the kids thing on the day that we did dedications. Thanks. <laughs>